Well, the challenging thing about writing a sermon is that you have to write essentially a research paper in a short amount of time, and no one gets to read the paper. They get to read a synopsis of the paper. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed preparing for this text. This is a text that I've kept on my dashboard for a long time um, to help me through uh, different struggles when I'm tempted to focus on the scene, and it just seems like it gets worse and worse. Uh, But in the research of this, there's a couple interesting things I found that you don't get when you just read this verse, and I'll mention some of them, but if I went into all of the detail, we'd be here, you know, for a sermon series, and I'm pretty sure they're not going to let me do that. So we're going to jump in with some of the tidbits, though. Did you know, according to the experts being Carson, or Moo, Carson and Moo, D.A. Carson, Douglas Moo, and Donald Guthrie, did you know that there are actually four letters originally written to the Corinthians? The ones that we have are two and four. This would be number four. It's interesting. The other two are lost. Uh, but you will notice Paul refers back to them. There are a couple of visits in there as well. Uh, did you also know that Paul planted this church? I thought that was pretty interesting. He's one of the greatest church planners of all time. It was encouraging to me to read how he cares for his congregation because we are a church that cares for our congregation and we care about church planning. So that was encouraging to me as well. Did you also know that the Corinthian church was riddled with division? What I mean by that? Christians were suing each other publicly and using the Bible to justify it. Did you know that half the congregation thought that Paul was a bad preacher? They're not so different than we are. And I put some information in the front of the bulletin, if you care to read that, about how it's actually a... Corinth was torn down and it was rebuilt by Rome. So it was actually more Roman than you think. And some of the history you may have heard about Corinth was referring a lot of it to the old Corinth, not the rebuilt Corinth. So there was a lot of Greek, go, uh, Greek influence. There was a lot of uh, people striving for status, politics, money. It doesn't sound very different than the world that we live in today, especially the world we live in right here. But I'm also going to start with a confession that when I was asked two weeks ago to provide a sermon title, I knew what I was going to preach on, but I wasn't sure what I'd call it, so I just titled it Jesus. <laughs> And since I helped write the bulletins, I could do that. And I figured that at some point in this sermon, we probably would be discussing Jesus, so that was a pretty safe title. But actually, on all counts, it's absolutely impossible to understand this passage without Jesus. Because in this passage, Paul, he discusses things like the seen and the unseen, time and eternity, present pain, And future glory. And without Jesus, there's no knowledge of the unseen. There's no knowledge of the eternal. And there's no understanding of present pain as it relates to future glory. But in Jesus, the unseen became the seen for us. And in Jesus, the eternal entered time for a time for us for another time. Through Jesus' death, unmeasurable temporal pain became eternal forgiveness for those who open the eyes of faith and see the promised future 
resurrection reality. That's exciting. One thing I didn't tell you is the Corinthians had a crazy view of the resurrection. So Paul talks a lot about the resurrection in this. They had a very unbiblical view. Notice he didn't write them off. He instructed them. He set their perception right. Now, today's sermon is going to be in 3P. So put on your 3P glasses. The three P's are perception, purpose, and perspective. Okay? Perception, purpose, and perspective. That's what we will focus on as we look at this passage. So first, perception. Let's read verse 16 together. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Perception. Sometimes things aren't what they seem to be. And sometimes our perceptions of the way we think things really are, are incorrect. So perception is very important. And in verse 16, Paul speaks to our perception. One time after a youth group missions trip to Belize, some of the students, when we got back, they were fired up about evangelism. And they said, Derek, will you go to the mall with us and share the gospel with people? And I was like, well, sure. This is a great idea. It's a youth pastor's dream. And so they said, well, what are we going to talk about? I said, well, why don't we just go talk to people and say, ask them if we can ask them what they think about Jesus and what they think about the church. And so we did. And on one particular day, there was this guy sitting alone in the food court, Tyson's, the not-rich Tyson's, whatever that one is, and the one with five guys. And so he's sitting, he's sitting there alone. We go ask, can we talk to you about Jesus? Just get your thoughts. We have no agenda. We really want to hear. Do you go to church? If not, why? Just tell us. And so we sat down, and we spoke with him about uh, half an hour. And at the end, I exchanged emails with him. Well, I emailed him later, and we got together at Gordon Beersh for lunch. And he wanted to talk about God and time. He wanted to talk about eternity. And he mentioned that he was about to be deployed to Afghanistan. And he's always looking around, really scared. And so I encouraged him to read the book of John while he was there. And for us to correspond through email. And so we did a bit. And then I got a text one night at like midnight, which was a little awkward. And he said, hey, I'm going to be in town for a little bit. Would you like to get together? I was like, sure. So I got together with him over at Greenberry's. And this time he had a notebook of all of these like pictures of the universe. And uh, he talked about dark matter and antimatter and non-matter. And I was used to weird conversations because I was a youth pastor. So I <laughs> went all out into discussing these things. Um, but he, we ultimately talked about God. And I challenged him again to read the book of John. And ask if these realities about Jesus Christ were true. The miraculous things said about him and how that impacted his life. And, and then, I guess a couple weeks to a month later, I see on the news this picture. I was like, I think I know that guy. And they're like, Bradley Manning betrays the U.S. by we- leaking documents to WikiLeaks. That's the guy I've been meeting with. I pull up my cell phone and I'm like, oh my goodness. There's his cell phone number, his emails. This is the guy. Sometimes things aren't what they seem to be. That's a very true story, and he still needs the gospel more than ever. 
Some of you may have access to share it with him where we are. Please do. Know that. Follow up on it. And I'm happy to share with him. And he's Jesus. So do we all. But Paul here knew that sometimes things aren't what they seem to be. Okay? And actually when we look at the scene, it can be very, very, very discouraging. This is why he begins here with an exhortation, so we do not lose heart. And it's probably better translated, therefore. The ESV translates that as so, but therefore is probably the better translation, in my opinion. And in the words of the great Butch Hardman, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to pause and ask, what's it there for? (laughs) And it's there to let us know that these verses are tied in with the verses before. And Paul is concluding a discourse on the resurrection. Remember that the Corinthians had a weird view of the resurrection. So he's, he's tying this in with the verses ahead, which will tie into the verses after. So it's there for a reason. And Paul understood that we need encouragement in the same way that the Corinthians needed encouragement then. That's why he starts by saying, don't lose heart. Because when we look at the scene, it can be very discouraging. One night, my wife and I, we're very young, old people. We watch Wheel of Fortune every night it comes on. And it doesn't come on on Sundays, just so you know. I know the whole schedule. And we were praying before dinner one night. And we were very discouraged, talking about some things we'd been going through. And I said, you know what, dear? We're not going to be anxious. The Lord says that we don't have to be anxious, and we're going to just... Trust Him. We're going to ask Him to guard us with the peace of God that transcends all understanding. We're going to cast our anxieties upon Him and thank Him for what He's given us. So we did that. And after I said, Lord, you know, please shine your light on these things. Uh, Amen. I look up. TV's muted. But the puzzle says, don't give up hope. True story. True story, AC. True story. Okay. Paul is encouraging us to look ahead. And whatever you may be going through in the scene, don't give up hope, okay? Don't give up hope. Look to Jesus in faith. And let the author of reality itself shape your perception. Jesus should be our, not depth perception, but death perception and life perception. Pardon the cheesy analogies, I love them. And Paul here points us to true reality, that though outwardly we're wasting away, and he's referring to our bodies, he's referring to the world, he's referring to the earthly tent. But if we trust in Jesus Christ, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We're taking a step to stand on something so much greater. And what is so much greater is the beautiful creator of the universe. That's why he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The life that we live here in this earthly tent, this earthly home, is but a poor reflection of what's ahead. Imagine trying to look at your reflection through a mirror that has fog on it. Imagine trying to cross the street a pedestrian crosswalk with glasses fogged up. Imagine trying to drive your car without the defrost on and it being fogged up. In order for you to see clearly, the fog and the haze has to be wiped away. And that's exactly 
what we have to have wiped away spiritually. And Jesus is the one who lines up our perception with the way things we should really, the way we should really see things, okay? Because Jesus is the unseen. And for those who are in Christ, if you trust in the unseen Jesus, even though it looks bad on the outside, inwardly there's something more going on than meets the eye. And the inner self for Paul was synonymous with the heart and the soul of a person. Where the outer self, like I said, was our body and the world. And for Paul, even though his body often endured piercing pain and physical abuse, his inner self continued to triumph through Jesus Christ, even to, the, to his death. And for what we know, he was martyred. That's why he writes... For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Our perception has to be set right by Jesus Christ. And only when we look to the unseen Jesus and focus our eyes on him can we see things for the way that they really are. So let's look to Jesus in faith. And faith is nothing more than the assurance of things hoped for, and the certainty of things not seen. So, perception. Secondly, purpose. There is a purpose in the midst of pain. There is a purpose in the midst of pain. Let's read verse 17 together. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We come here each week with you know, varying degrees of struggles and encouragements. I talk to many of you about them during the week, and that's an honor. Please continue to talk to us. As James says, that's what we're here for. We love you. Um, but we come here each week gathering to focus on Jesus and to seek encouragement and hope from Jesus. And when his people come together, something special happens. If there's no worship during the week, though, it really is a mere gathering that is going to leave you empty. But if we're focusing on him during the week, when we come together, I'll tell you what, our hearts are in the right place and we receive the word of God on fertile ground and we don't come like this, we come like this. And that's the difference. That's what a Christian should do when they come to church. That's really what worship is and it carries out to the week. Side note, sorry, I get fired up. But... We come here with so many different things. It's important to know that in this passage, Paul was no stranger to pain and suffering. He understands. And in fact, he wrote, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's encouraging to me how much he loved his churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. You see, in the midst of weakness, we find God's strength. He also writes, 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is the great dichotomy of the kingdom of God. Weak is strong. Freedom is not found in independence. Freedom is found in dependence on Jesus Christ. And you see, God's world seems so upside down from our world. But God knew that in Christ the weak is strong. God defines strength in Jesus Christ. And He is the only strength that will allow us to make it through this life. That's the gospel truth. There is a purpose in the midst of whatever pain you may be going through. And Paul, all that he listed and wrote about, he called his pain a light affliction. A light affliction. And he says that it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is wonderful. But so many times, the world of God seems backwards from the world that we live in. We used to take the kids on a retreat called Majnik. Majnik is kingdom, the word kingdom, spelled backwards. There's a big debate on how you pronounce it. I think it's Maj, not Mod. But you have to kind of throw out the rules of the English language to pronounce it correctly. Isn't that right, kids? But... Majnik was kingdom spelled backwards because it can seem like the world thinks that the kingdom is backwards, but really it's the world that's backwards from the kingdom of God. And it was highlighting that reality. And I always remembered that. I thought that was interesting. Um, but Paul, according to Colin Cruz, I love this quote, Paul endures afflictions in the present visible world by keeping before him the glories of the yet unseen world. I thought that's wonderful. Robert Louis Stevenson tells of an old buyerman who worked day in and day out in muck. And one day he was approached by a man saying, how do you do it? And the man said, he that has something beyond need never weary. God's kingdom can see back, seem very backwards from the, the world that we live in, but actually... It's right side up. We're the ones who are backwards. And that takes a change of perception. And that gives us purpose in the midst of our pain. And we only see this when we look to Jesus and focus our eyes of faith on the unseen Jesus. And see, Paul says that it's building up for us an eternal weight of glory. Imagine those, for the lack of a better illustration, and I just think this really captures it. Imagine all of the gazillion YouTube videos you've seen of someone on a seesaw who's too fat to be on a seesaw and they fling someone who's too small to be on a seesaw off. You can imagine that. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. The weight of the struggles that we may be going through are far outweighed and insignificant and disappear in comparison to the glory that is ahead for those who trust in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Charles Hodge says that afflictions are the cause of eternal glory, not the meritorious cause, but still the procuring cause. God has seen fit to reveal his purpose, not only to reward with exceeding joy the afflictions of his people, 
but to make those afflictions the means of working out that joy. We are therefore not to seek afflictions, but when God sends them, we should rejoice in them as the divinely appointed means of securing for us an eternal weight of glory. Colin Cruz says, If Christians are prepared to be identified with Christ in a fallen world and accept whatever sufferings and afflictions they may thus encounter, they will share his glory. There is purpose in the midst of our pain, but we must perceive reality as it really is through the eyes of faith focused on Jesus Christ. And thirdly, perspective. Let's read verse 18 together. It's uh, actually in the middle of 17, so I'll read both of them. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Perspective. Paul here is giving us a godly perspective, and we must learn to live life with God's perspective. That is the struggle for the Christian. Looking at the unseen while living in the seen. Thinking about selling your house when you're surra- thinking about it selling when you're surrounded by for sale sites. <laughs> that was tough for me. But the unseen is so hard to focus on. Let's think about eternity for a moment. Okay? It's very hard to grasp non-time. And I love this. But when we are bound to time, we can only think in time. If this were time, God's outside of it. He, d- he can hop in and out whenever he wants. In fact, he created time. But let's try to think about eternity for a minute. Someone gave me this illustration once, and it stuck with me. Okay, imagine a bird. This is not reality, so those of you who are super scientific, I know. Imagine a bird that could fly around the globe. And imagine this bird was huge, and it had this rock, a sharp rock, that it was holding. And every time it would go around the entire globe, one inch of crust would fall off. And imagine it were possible for the entire world to disintegrate. How long would it take that bird to completely go around the earth and disintegrate earth? Now imagine that's one second of eternity. I love that. (laughs) I don't know who thought that up, but wow. So in relation to eternity, time is but a moment. Uh, Colin Cruz again says, when Paul is contrasting the things which are seen with the things that are not seen, he's not contrasting things that are visible with those that are inherently invisible. It's rather a contrast between what is now visible and what is not yet visible, but is about to be revealed. The revelation of Christ, his kingdom, his glory, the resurrection truth, that we will live forever with Jesus Christ if we have faith in him. Simon Kistemacher says the invisible things are those things that we appropriate by faith in God. But the now is temporary. And Paul points us to that. To have the godly perspective, we have to see the now is temporary. And nothing captures that to me more than September 11th. And the picture of the rubble and the smoke 
and all of the papers flying. Those papers were everywhere. And I imagine that someone gave their life to that paper that was gone. Insignificant, nothing. The earthly tent was removed. What is left but the eternal? Where is hope but in Jesus Christ and the resurrection? For us to see our loved ones again, for us to be together for eternity, where is hope but in Jesus Christ? He's real. And he's the only hope we have. So to fix our eyes on Jesus is to fix our eyes on what is unseen and is eternal. Jesus is the eternal begotten Son who entered time for us. And we must focus our eyes of faith upon Him. And this is what it means to see things from God's perspective. That's why Paul writes in the next chapter, we walk by faith, not by sight. We used to do this illustration. Actually, we used to. Only did it once. And I thought about doing it this morning. But I would have gotten in trouble and never been able to preach again. But let me tell you what I would have done. Okay? I would have brought a vase here. And I would have said, imagine that this is the most beautiful vase in the world. Imagine this is you, God's prized creation. And I would have smashed it with a hammer. And it would have broken on the floor. And then I would have moved the glass. And I would put it in the middle of the floor over here. And I would have called someone up, probably a student from the youth group. And I would have blindfolded them. And when I, I would have said, actually, I wouldn't have blindfolded them first. I would have left it off. And I would have said, walk to me barefoot and don't step on the glass. They would look down, they'd walk around, they'd come over to me and they'd be like, Derek, this is stupid. <laughs> then I would send them back over there and I'd blindfold them. And I'd say, now I'm going to put this glass in your path. I'm going to move it from where it just was and I'm going to put enough there to cut your feet wide open. And I want you to walk to me without stepping on that glass. But I'm going to guide you. I'm going to tell you which way to go. Will you trust me? And see, inevitably what happens when you take away the sight, you must listen. And you must trust the one directing you. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. We must listen to the one who is guiding us, the one who is telling us what is here, and the one who is telling us what is ahead. And that is God himself. And how does he speak to us today? How do we listen to the unseen? We focus our eyes of faith on the words of the author of life, okay? And we find these words in Scripture, in our Bible. And all Scripture is God-breathed. The book of the things eternal we hold in our temporal hands today. And you can take that to the spiritual bank. It is reality. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And guess what? That's what we read about in Scripture. That's what we celebrated this Advent season. And what does it tell us? It tells us that we have this treasure of of God in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have that same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Again, Paul writes, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. And I would be not doing this passage justice if I didn't stop right now and say, if you come here right now and you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, you probably don't know Jesus. And I want to stop and say, Thank you for coming here. You're welcome to be here every single week. And in fact, this is why we're here for you. Everyone in this room at one point in their life did not know that Jesus was real. And we want you to know the truth. We want you to know that the unseen became seen for you and the word became flesh so that you can know that he's real and that you can have a purpose in the life ahead and that will transform the purpose of your life here. Welcome. But I want to implore you on behalf of Jesus to be reconciled to God by opening your eyes of faith today and trusting Jesus with your life. I'm telling you, you will find life for the first time. Take a step to stand on something greater today, that being Jesus Christ. Did you know it's written, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life or eternal glory. And that weight of glory far outweighs the weight of this world and anything we can go through. Eternal glory. Trusting in the unseen. After all, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not seen. And you see in Christ, the temporal and the seen us Decaying and bound to time, us, can be united by a relationship of faith with the one who is unseen, the eternal Jesus Christ. And this happens through faith. And in that sense, through Jesus, we can become the unseen. The unseen of our resurrected bodies will be a reality. Things will not be the way they are now, as the Corinthians thought, and just continue. Things actually will change. We will be made perfect. We can wipe away every tear. You can execute every fear. This is the gospel. Jesus gave his life so that we don't have to give ours. In fact, when we give our lives to him, we receive his perfection. We don't have to try so hard. We just have to accept the gift. What better time to understand accepting gifts than right after Christmas? This is the reality for those who are in Jesus, that you can be resurrected and that you can live forever and that you can share that with the world and they can be resurrected and they can live forever with you. That's amazing stuff. And it really happened. 
Jesus teaches us to perceive things the way that they really are, to see the purpose in the midst of our pain, and to view life from God's perspective, which is that we live in the already, but the not yet is on its way. And in Christ, the not yet is beyond all comparison. I believe this, therefore I speak. And I implore you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that I can approach your throne, that we can approach your throne. Thank you that we can investigate the truths of Scripture, whether they're real or not. But we know that they are, Father. You continue to show up and save us over and over and over again. Thank you for that truth. Lord, I pray if any here today don't know you and are afraid to take that step of faith, that they would find someone to hold their hand. And that person would love them in your name today. I pray that those who need to hear a reminder of these gospel truths, that you would strengthen them by the truths of your scripture now. Those that are in pain, give them joy. Those that are too encouraged in their own strength, may they find hope and humility in your strength. And Lord Jesus, may we find this balance as we focus our eyes of faith on you at the foot of the cross, which is level. Thank you so much, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.